bear in mind that I enough verse in the Quran which says, uh, I have created everything, the birds that fly and the things that walk and creep and crawl and fly as communities like yourself. So as Khalifa, as somebody who is stewards of the earth, it's your responsibility to protect those families. And today's guest is Fazal and Khalid, recently voted one of Britain's leading environmentalists and one of the most influential Muslim leaders on this topic in the world, attending meetings at the UN, Davos and the Vatican about the role faiths have to play in protecting the planet. When you're talking about environmentalism, you can't really say this is just a science thing and ignore the faiths because most of the earth is religious to some degree. And as you'll hear in the interview, it's way more effective to remind someone of their role as a steward of the earth through their faith than it is to use scientific reason to convince them. Because whether the planet is like an incredibly amazing accident or whether it's a divine creation, we just need to learn to look after it. So it was actually a really lovely experience to interview Fazlan today. He's not the kind of person I'd usually spend this much time with. And it was actually a really enlightening experience. And his spirit is amazing. You know, he was born in 1932. That's the same year Franklin D. Roosevelt was, became American president. And yet he's still fighting the good fight now at 87 years of age. And he even got a book published this year called Signs on the Earth about Islam, modernity, and the climate crisis. So it's, you know, a nice reminder to anyone out there who's getting on a little bit, you're only too old when you let yourself believe it. So please enjoy the wisdom of Fazl and Khalid. Hello, good to be here. Yeah. How are you today? I'm fine, a bit uh, sweaty, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was because of the big long walk up the stairs outside. So I wanted to ask a little bit about, um, because you were brought up in Sri Lanka, which we used to be called Ceylon mm, back Ceylon, in the day. Ceylon, Ceylon. Yes. Um, A bit about your memories of, of, of nature, how it used to be. My father was a nature lover. We grew up in Colombo, but he used to take, take us out uh, People don't realize all oh, this. It's a small, smallish country in comparison with India and other places. It has a lot of wildlife. It had a lot of wildlife and a lot of forests. And used mm. to take us into the forests, and uh, and we used to bathe under waterfalls and yeah. things like that. It was, it was fantastic. So we had a good time. So we grew up loving nature, and being and being uh, visiting nature and close to it for much of our lives. So it was a very interesting yeah. experience. Yeah, and I'm aware that you. You, I think I'm right in saying that you hitchhiked across um, somehow from there yes. to to England. Yes, somehow. I did actually. Where did you get this information from? Uh, um, I, 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 your website, Wikipedia, oh, lots I of see, places. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> All right, I did actually in 1953, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we hitchhiked. Uh, we wanted to come to the UK, and on the way to Canada, really, we wanted to join the Canadian Air Force there for. Mm -hmm. Guys, I wanted to be uh, near, we, you know, young person, ambition, flying machines. Of course, and all that yeah. Kind. Now people want to be astronauts, but then I want <laughs> just to be a pilot. Uh, but then uh, was a six-month journey from Colombo. We set off in February 1953 mm. and eventually got to the UK in July, the year of the coron coronation, 1953. Okay, yeah. 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 And we joined the Air Force, Royal Air Force, and yeah. we've been there for 10 years. And I know that you then worked as an engineer for a while and, and, and as a civil servant. Yeah, between engineering and civil servant, after I left the Air Force, I was in industry. Okay. I had about two or three years industrial experience as a shop steward mm. for the Transport and General Workers Union. Mm. So that, that's another part of my learning experience yeah. you know, that, that sort of politicized me. Yeah, and uh, in, the, in the Air Force, you, you are you know you you're one of the one of the lads. You're working on aircraft, then you're engineering, concentrating on having a good time and doing the doing the necessary. Uh, but um, coming 
discharged into Suez Street in 1962. I went into a factory in, in Preston, and there I met a multiracial workforce. But that was the time when uh, immigration was coming in. Yeah, because yeah, post-war, yeah. post-war development in the UK and Europe needed uh, migrant labour, and the Pakistanis and uh, West Indians, um, Indians, they were they were coming into the country, mm-hmm. and I was sort of. Uh, uh, went into a cauldron, mm. a cauldron of change. Yeah. And uh, um, I suddenly found myself elected shop steward f- of, of a 200-person f- f- shop floor mm. with a huge challenge. Mm. And it was then, uh, that was also experience of the first kind of uh, strike, industrial action with overtones of race. Yeah. This was in 1965, and Paul Foote wrote a book about that called The Red Scar Story. Okay. Yeah, there were American camera teams filming what was going on because something really? quite special. Yeah, it was, it was quite a thing, really. Yeah. But um, but at that time, I wanted to be an engineer, mm. to, to, to use my Air Force experience in engineering, and I wanted to qualify as an engineer I was studying for university. But that industrial experience, that sort of my process of politicization, if that's the right word, sort of changed me. Changed me, changed me. Uh, And I wanted to then work with people. Then I left the factory and I, in my early 30s, mid 30s, I went back to university and uh, did a thing on social science. Um, I became uh, a social worker for Lancashire County Council for mm-hmm. a year, child care officer. Then I was uh, headhunted by the Race Relations Board in 1968. Okay. Race Relations Board was the uh, one of two bodies that were created by the by the government then to look at racial issues. Yeah, and I was in I was in the kind of enforcement wing of the race legislation. Okay. And then uh, in 1972, if I remember correctly, or was it 82, uh, the, the Race Relations Board and the Commission, Community Relations Commission became one organization and became the Commission for Racial Equality, okay. which was the predecessor body of the current Human Rights Commission in the UK. Okay. And so we were the pioneers in this kind of... So I had a range of experiences from Before you even got into from, environmentalism, yeah. But in, environmentalism is always there in the background, you uh-huh. see, but it, it wasn't in the, in the front, yeah. in the forefront. Uh, because, um, um, because of the politics of colonialism, I also became interested in the whole aspect of uh, third world debt, third world hunger. Yeah. And I was reading people like Thibaut Mende and all, the, all those all the original writers on the whole issue of third world uh, issues, third world development and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of morphed morphed into environmentalism mm-hmm. in the 1970s and 80s. And this was when organizations like Oxfam and Christian Aid and CAFOD, who were straightforward aid, aid, aid agencies, became sort of environmental okay. in a very organic way. Yeah. You know, So I, I sort of... I sort of drifted with it, mm. and uh, I was working with uh, NGOs at that time, uh, particularly with an organization called ARC, the Alliance of Religions and Conversation, mm-hmm. uh, con- cons- conservation. conservation, Alliance of Religions and Conservation, uh, which uh, was founded by Prince Philip. Oh, right. Because he was the president mm. of WWF at that time, and he was saying, "Well, what about the religions then?" Yeah. And uh, there was the first conference uh, of that multi-faith uh, conference in Assisi, in Italy. Yeah. Um, because it was, uh, I think, the place where Saint Francis was is buried. I'm not sure about that, but Francis of Assisi. That, that, yeah. that, that's 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 where that's where that's where it happened. But I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, part of that at that time, but I, I came into uh, even Arc. Arc was actually created in 1995, yeah. but I was with the organization that became Arc before that, for five or six years oh, before I see. that. What uh, made what made you? Um, 
because I'm, I'm aware that you um, kind of became progressively environmental and we're, and we're looking to, 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 to see the role of Islam in that. But mm. w- what, what started those thoughts coming up in your mind? Yeah, that, that's an interesting phrase, progressively environmental. That's, that's interesting because um, that is how uh, the whole global ethos that's how it happened. The global ethos became progressively environmental. Mm. Uh, it didn't happen before Rachel Carson. Silent Spring. Silent Spring, yeah. 1962. This was when people had to, that was when, you, if you like to call it environmentalism, that was when, when the movement began intellectually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it began. And then there were conferences and so on. It's in, it's in my book, anyway, all these kind of, uh, do a summary of it. Uh, so I morphed with that movement. Mm-hmm. So I also became progressively environmental. And at one of the meetings that I've had with a group of NGOs, somebody said to me, what has Islam got to say about the environment? You see, that was a trigger yeah. in a sense. So I was I was looking at the environment or with a kind of a secular mindset, if you like. Okay. But that, that thing shifted my focus. What, what was your answer at the time? I don't know. I had to be honest about it. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, but I, I was looking, there's an interesting question, that one, because I was looking at it from an environmentalism point of view. Yeah. But later on, I, I began to, uh, we'll develop this theme later on, if you like, I begin to, uh, began to realize that Islam was inherently environmental in the way you lived. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, in Islam, environmentalism is purely behavior. That is how you behave with your brother, your parents, your family, with your neighbor, with your country, in your village, whatever, Mm -hmm. and how you behave with the natural world, how you behave with a tree, how you behave with a cat or a dog or a tiger or a lion. That, That, that's, that quote is very strong, but uh, we are sort of um, uh, hung up on an environmental paradigm where our behavior is, is sort of geared entirely to economic advancement. The rest doesn't matter. But anyway. So it's we, separating two things that yeah, shouldn't that's right. be separate. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the, the faith, communi- faith communities have also had that separation sort of uh, in a sense, by the secular model that evolved over the century, forced on them. Yeah. So everybody wants to be consumers, you say. But in any case, in in this was in the mid. Uh, this happened in the mid nineteen eighties, mm-hmm. and I began to look up these issues, and I went to ask advice from Islamic scholars, and yeah. uh, they couldn't really give me a cogent answer. So I had to go back. Retired, I took early retirement, went back to university in the late, in the early 1990s, when I was nearly 60. Yeah. Yeah, I was nearly 60. Yeah. When I did a master's on Islam and the environment, on Islamic oh, wow. theology, in, and that opened my eyes. Actually. Where did you study? Birmingham. Got my master's in Birmingham. Who was teaching that course, given that there wasn't a lot of representation for, in that field? No, there, there wasn't a course such as Islamic environmentalism. Okay. I had to go to the tutors and say, I want to study the Quran and what it has to say about the environment. Go ahead. You're, nobody's coming. Ah, okay. So I sort of pioneered this kind of, uh, uh, this okay. kind of research, you see. And, and, and I, I produced a dissertation with acceptance. I got my master's. And I was asked to do a PhD. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want any PhDs at this time of my life. I like to go out there and be... You want to be active. Use yeah. use the little knowledge that I have in order to become active. And that was when you set up um, Ifes. Yes. Or around that time. Yeah. I mean, um, Ifes, uh, in in a sense, uh, it 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 was there uh, from the very beginning. Although it was known it wasn't known as that as that. But then in in uh, the early nineties, somebody said, "Why don't you set up an organization?" Mm-hmm. So I I. I I uh, uh, we thought of some names, and, and I suggested Wife, World Islamic Foundation. I said, "Come on, don't. 
you know, you get teased. So I, eventually I fees emerged. Yeah, it's not got the right feeling to yeah. it, has it? No. <laughs> Although it's like Mother Earth, I guess. It's yeah. not quite Wi-Fi. I know. Yeah. Uh, we, we were registered as a charity in 1997. Okay. And we've been going since then. And we worked, we have worked entirely, and this will tell you the state of the Muslim world as far as environment is concerned. We had very little support, financial or otherwise, really? from the Muslim world. Was there any particular reason why that, why that was? Because they, they couldn't grasp it. Right. And I don't, th I don't think they still do from, mm. from, from an Isma Islamic perspective. They will do the secular thing and talk about climate change and do the kind of adaptation and mitigation okay. stuff yeah. you know, from a secular viewpoint. But the powerful uh, underlying Islamic argument is kind of almost lost on them. Really? You know, and we played, my, my foundation, we played a very strong uh, key role in trying to project this yeah. uh, to the Islamic world. And I, I think, given that we worked with a handful of volunteers, and, mm -hmm. and I, I never work for a salary, yeah. I don't want to anyway, uh, and a and, and handful of volunteers, uh, the people that funded uh, our offices for a very short period of time, for four or five years, were secular organizations, secular okay. charities, not the Muslims. No. See, but this, this is an indictment on the Muslims themselves because they have so much that is in the teaching, but they haven't, ta haven't taken it up. They're slowly waking up. Mm -hmm. But they need a kickstart, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it needs to, hopefully my, my book will uh, help in, help in uh, opening their eyes. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so, um, as I said, when, when after I got my, I was, my master's was a two-year part-time thing. But at the same time, I was developing Islamic themes from the knowledge I got out of the Quran anyway, by doing this research, discovered that there were nearly 260 verses in the Quran, all dealing with creation. The creation yeah. is now known as creation theology. He said that's the term in, terminology that's being used now. And uh, uh, the verses in the Quran dealing with the environment, you name it, birds and the bees, the, the, the sky, the moon, the sun, the stars, the seasons, you know, uh, it's all there. The fish, yeah. the fowl, and it's all there. And if you, if you turn any page of the Quran at, at, at random, mm -hmm. you'll see a verse relating to the natural world. The title of my, the first line of the title, uh, Signs on the Earth, is, is drawn from a verse in the Quran. Okay. Yes. And, and it's almost like the animals and the birds and the fish are the signs of the creation in a way. Exactly. That's where the signs are. Uh, the Arabic of that is وَفِلْ تُلِّ الْمُكِنِينَ means there are signs on the earth for people with understanding. Mm -hmm. And the word sign uh, is a translation of the word ayat in Quran. Okay. So ayat, a verse in the Quran, mm -hmm. Are described as a as a sign, a verse in the Quran is a sign. Okay. So, the natural world is the, is an ontological Quran. It's out there. Yeah, the whole world is a Quran. Yeah. If you look at it, there are signs in it that you can read. Yeah. So read those signs. Yeah, absolutely. Read and see what's happening and, and yeah. adapt to yeah. it and protect yeah. it. Yeah, and and so the signs on the earth are your respond. The, the the next line of that verse is. In yourselves as well, do you not then see? Hmm. There are signs on the earth and in yourselves. Yeah. So the signs on your, in yourself need to then signal to you the signs that are out there. Mm -hmm. That's a theological interpretation of it. There's a lot more to it, of course, I'm paraphrasing. Of course, and I know that you've got um, a whole, um, there is a, a document within your website which is all about how to, almost how to, give this knowledge to, to teach this knowledge yes, essentially yes, to people. Yes, 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 yes. Now that, 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 that was the teaching resource we developed for, um, um, for schools in Zanzibar. Mm. That came out of the fact that um, after, the, after I finished my master's, they, because there was such a demand for it, we had to, and because the, the, the Islamic world were ignorant of the ecological environmental teaching in the Quran, we had to develop a method whereby the messages in the Quran could be encapsulated, encapsulated into a small workshop session. Yeah. So we devised a system uh, where we uh, 
uh, incorporated a few verses from the Quran into a workshop model and had breakout sessions giving people the idea mm-hmm. and uh, I never believed in starting, uh, standing on a pulpit and giving a lecture or or, or, a, or a sermon on, on, on the environment, mm-hmm. sermon on the mount, sermon on the environment. <laughs> uh, so the, the technique that I used was to give the ordinary people uh, selected verses in the Quran and I said, discuss it. And the first okay. first experiment I conducted was a Zanzibar project, which is in the book anyway. Yeah. And I was asked by uh, WWF uh, to uh, to deal deal with fishermen in Zanzibar who were dynamiting coral reefs. Why would they do that? Quick methods of fishing. So all the fish run yeah. away, and then you no fish di- fish die, and then come up to the surface. Oh. They don't have to. They don't have to you know, use line and net and all that kind of stuff. One stick of dynamite, you get a hundred fish, dead fish. Surface surfacing to the surface, and and the WWF and other NGOs couldn't handle it. They couldn't persuade the fishermen to stop these activities. But I went there with this template, with this uh, teaching resource, which was called Quran Creation and Conservation, mm-hmm. and uh, they stopped overnight. Really, they stopped overnight. And one kind of fisherman came up to me and said, "Brother Khalid." We can break the government's laws, but we can't break God's law. Wow! So it's changed. It's changed the perspective. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is an attitudinal change. That that. So for me, it was a signal that the methods I was, the method I was using was 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 a success. Yeah. Was good. But that from that point on, we we've been to all parts of the world, from Indonesia to West Africa, doing the same kind of workshop, and. Uh, uh, so it's been now accepted in the Muslim world as, as a method. As, to, as a method. To do, as a method. To yeah, um, that, that's that's great because a lot of people, um, people of faith, they they that's like the higher part of them themselves in a way, like that they identify more as a person of faith than as of a person within a country almost. That's um, right. Yes. Yeah. And so if you go at them with their real identity or their bigger identity, then you've got more chance of success. Yeah, they're more, more responsive, more responsive to these yeah. ideas because then they take on the responsibility themselves mm. because Allah, God, has given them the responsibility to look after. So the, the, the four themes that I use in the workshop mm-hmm. uh, begin with Tawheed is the first theme. Tawheed is the monotheistic principle of Islam. Okay. And Tawid incorporates one world, one connected world, one humanity, mm-hmm. and, and, and one soul, the hope of the world has one soul. So uh, it, it incorporates ideas, the verses in the Quran that I deal with, and I, I'll give it in the short form. There's one verse in the Quran which says, I created the heavens and the earth, and everything I've created, everything I've created is bigger than you. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Even the ant that I have created is bigger than you. So it instills a sense of humility that yeah. God has created everything and although he has given us his intelligence, that he's telling us that everything that is there for us to use is bigger than us. So we have to be careful. Well, it's a good lesson because yeah. I think we treat ourselves as if we're better than the world. Exactly. But we depend on it for everything. Exactly. So if exactly. we ruin that, we ruin ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, are, we have to be smaller than it. Exactly. Or, or we die. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, we are, we are good. Yeah, it's on the cards anyway. <laughs> and the other kind of thing, aspect of Tawheed that we, we have sort of chosen verses talk about is there's a, there's a concept called Muhit in, mm-hmm. in the Quran. And Muhit, the idea of encompassing. Okay. And the verse is, Allahu bi kulli shayin Allah encompasses everything. That gives the idea of wholeness, the holistic principle. Mm. So it's spelled out in that way. Like the, is that like an interconnectedness? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything is whole. Everything is connected. Yeah. Uh, irrevocably, we are interconnected. We are connected. We cannot, we cannot uh, be anything else but be connected. Yeah. And, and of, definitely in this modern day, sort of everyone kind of finds their own little silo of information on Facebook and. Um, they find their own little niche within work and they get really, really good at specializing that, but they forget that everything connects this is the to age, everything this else. This is the age of specialism. And, you know, if there's time to talk about it, we can talk about it. And the fact of the matter is we are all 
we, this is a technotopia. Mm. You see, and, and uh, I don't, one day maybe a PhD student will, will in fact discover a new equation. My, my take is this, the, the greater, the more technology we use, the greater the distance from us and the natural world. Yeah. Technology, in fact, takes us away from the natural world. And, 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 the, and the use of it causes social disruption. Yeah. And the manufacturing of technology causes environmental disruption. Mm. And technology runs on energy and we need fossil fuels. And somebody may discover something else, some other fuel. But, but still, uh, whatever energy we use, we still have to manufacture it. People are under the impression that if we deal with climate change, everything is hunky-dory. But climate change is only the tip of the iceberg. Mm. You see, because we have to change the economic model. We'll come to that in a minute. But the, the, the thing I'm saying, that's the first principle. Tawheed, which is the unity principle. Uh, the, the teaching resource is based on. And the second principle is Mizan, which is the balance principle, uh, which, uh, uh, which uh, God asserts that I have created the earth for you in balance and in harmony with mm. nature. And you have to work within that balance. Otherwise, you will lose the balance. In, and that'll tip the balance against you. It's yeah. called the mizan. So, the unity principle, the balance principle, and the third principle is fitra, known as the the, the principle of primordiality. Okay. Uh, Could you explain that a little more? Yeah, it means that uh, nature was created, primordial nature. You are still part of primordial nature. Mm. We may think that we are civilized and advanced and use all the sophisticated gadgets like. Uh, you know, like the, the things we are speaking into now, and, are, <laughs> and, and, and all, all this kind of stuff. But uh, the world has not changed in the sense that that the, the seasons and uh, the, the the tides and and the rain cycle and the oxygen cycle all part of the primordiality of creation. Yeah, yeah. That hasn't changed. But we have we are hell bent on changing them. But we are not quite succeeding because it's ricocheting back in us, back at us. Yeah. You see, uh, there is a verse there which is "La tabdila khalqillah." You will not change my creation. Oh. You will work within it. Yeah. And another verse following soon after that, which says, "But you don't listen. You don't understand." You see. So I have created uh, this earth for you in a way that. Uh, you were sent uh, to an earth, you, were, you were came to an earth, you're, you're in an earth which is still part of a primordial patterning. Well, we try and understand it, but um, and, in, and we think we understand it more than we do, and that's maybe our downfall, because we try to influence, we try to take this and change this and change this and change this, but actually it's way more complicated than we can ever understand. And maybe we need to be more humble and act within it and not try to exactly act on top of it. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, what what drives that is the economic paradigm, mm. yeah, and and we, we'll come to that. In a Sorry, minute. the fourth one. <laughs> uh, the, the fourth one is is the responsibility principle, mm. where you are you are Khalifa, you are the steward. I think this also in the Christian tradition, stewardship of the earth. Then you have a responsibility to as as Khalifa, as steward, to look after the look after the earth, and so so you have then. The unity principle, the balance principle, the principle of primordiality, and the responsibility principle. Uh, this is only a beginning. You know, what, 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 what we have done is, in fact, um, you've heard of the Sharia. Yes. What we have done is sort of, uh, because Sharia is an evolving thing, mm. and there is a huge amount of stuff in the Sharia. And uh, if you look at the Sharia as a huge carpet, where yeah. you uh, know, and then there are so many patterns on it. We've taken one pattern, the Sharia, Mm. and uh, looked at it and looked at what it tells us. And Could you so, explain Sharia just for listeners? Yeah, sh sh Sharia... One idea of it. Yeah, sh Sharia is, is, is um, uh, the term used for this Islamic uh, legal system, mm -hmm. and it inc incorporates uh, births, deaths, and marriages, and commercial transactions, and, mm. and justice, and punishment, and all, all, the, all, all these things. And the Sharia also has... Uh, uh, components in it, patterns in it, which deals with the environment. Mm -hmm. You see, uh, so one 
I, I could say, I, I could say that the environmental ethic mm. uh, encompasses the whole of the Sharia in the sense that we were created uh, in a benign world and we were, we were then given the responsibility of maintaining that world for the good of, not just for ours, but for other sentient beings as well, yeah. you see. So the Sharia I- incorporates that. But because, because, of the, because of the integrated nature of the uh, connectedness of the human to the, uh, uh, to, to the natural world, because we are part of the natural world. Mm-hmm. If you look at it that way, we cannot objectify the natural We are all subject. We are integrated into it. So uh, what, what, what the secular ethic has done is in fact to, dis- to disconnect us mm-hmm. from that. You see? So uh, everything the Quran says about existence uh, is with the underlying teaching that we are integrated into the natural world. So that is how the Quran was taught, if you like, uh, pre-enlightenment or pre-modernity, pre-Newton, pre-Adam Smith, you know, all this, that's the way it was taught and people were integrated. But then the disintegration began with the post uh, Enlightenment Newtonian, and, and then of course there colonialism, was, and then colonialism, and and colonialism established there was the ring of mission schools uh, around the globe, uh, and the whole world was secularized, and so was the Muslim world as well, and and uh, so. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an integrated perspective mm-hmm. with the Quran offers, uh, which we are trying to uh, uh, reintroduce into the Islamic mindset, into the Muslim mindset, mm-hmm. because we are all consumers. Muslims are no exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. We are all in, in debt to the banks. We are all consumers, and uh, the, the whole that's that's what the system wants us to be. What's the reception been like from the um, recently from the Muslim world, especially with lots more stuff in the secular world talking about environmentalism? It's been good. We are we are making progress, but not fast enough. Yeah, because I I want to accelerate this because there is no time. No, and but uh, you know I, I I wish that the leaders of the so-called Islamic world would wake up. Yeah, and and. Uh, begin to take seriously what what their what their teachings are. Mm. I mean, I I've, I've no problems in saying this, and people think that building a mosque and praying five times a day is is is, is enough. But that's 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 only the beginning. Mm. They love building mosques, and um, um, for the Muslim, the whole world is a is 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 uh, the prayer mat. Yeah. You see, so there's no, there no need for so many mosques to be built. You can pray anywhere you want. But the, the, the problem is that the, the economic, political economic model has been so powerful hmm. that regardless of where you are, it's been accepted by the Muslim, Muslim leaders. Hmm. Even if you get even if you get a theocratic state like uh, Iran or Saudi Arabia, mm. uh, whilst, whilst the uh, everyday life is maintained according to so-called theocracy, the economic model just runs rant, rampant. Mm. And it's, it's, uh, mm. Saudi Arabia is intricately connected, in, connected to um, Wall Street. Yeah, absolutely. And there are lots of Arab um, people in London spending lots of money on Lots of things. Yeah, and buying um, property in London. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. It's very related. So, so, so they, they are. So it says here, it's, it's a very good point. And that they are, it's economics. Yeah. The religion, new religion is economics. But it's a dying religion. In what way? Economics. Oh, I see. Economics is the dying religion. Yeah. Well, we have to do something, right? Yes. Um, so um, are there any um, other sort of Islamic leaders in this, in the, in the world that we should be aware of? As far as I'm aware... We are the only internationally run uh, Islamic environmental organization. Mm-hmm. More recently, um, 
Muslim rulers, you know, like uh, the King of Morocco has come out in favor of, in favor of environmental change, climate change, and they are talking the talk, you know, because they have to, otherwise yeah. they'd be left stranded, you know. Yeah. And um, they are jumping on 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 the bandwagon, uh, but um, that's a good thing because I I feel uh, I feel that more people are being uh, for for about twenty years of my work I was very lonely. Yeah. And the other day I was reminded when I was talking to a, a young Muslim woman who came to one of our workshops and I said uh, I told her I was writing this book and. I said, I, I edited the first book on Islam and ecology in 1992. And she said to me, that was when I was born. Wow. You see, but the point here, the point I'm making here is that since then there have been young people coming up who are who are tuned into these ideas and, 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 and the concepts of environment. And they come up in a secular way. They're Muslims. When I say there is an also an Islamic environment, their ears prick. Absolutely, because they want to figure it out. They, how they, to they want to figure it out. Too, don't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. So there are more, more. I've almost written off the older people. Sad to say, yeah. because they are very traditional and they look at uh, Islam from a kind of ritual, ritualistic perspective. Yeah. You know, there's more to Islam than ritual. And uh, it's the young people I, I want to work with. Yeah. And these ideas work with them and these kind of teachings is resonate with them and they want to take it on. Yeah. You've also been working a lot with other faith groups as well, I'm aware, because... Oh, yes. Um, in, in two weeks' time, I'll, I'll be in Greece working with uh, one American and one Moroccan university on the Abrahamic traditions and the environment. Okay. You see. So I do a lot of work with my... Again, in the book, I argue uh, that we have to work together because the times are dangerous. And... We are living in shared spaces, and we need to protect these spaces for the future of our children. Yeah. And uh, uh, whilst uh, we can do that, there are lots of uh, common points in our in our faiths that we can work together in, mm. and we need to do that because time is short, and people respond to these ideas. And so I encourage Muslims also to work with other people, yeah. uh, and and. Uh, uh, enhance the collective teaching that we have in order to yeah. protect the environment. I, ha I have seven grandchildren, you know, and I wonder what kind of world they're going to live in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in in a way, um, this is, although there have been lots of conflict about whose is mine, what, what's mine, what's yours, and um, this is almost like the, the biggest conflict that we face, and it needs every everyone and every every little group to to drop the differences that we may have in in our beliefs as to why things are here, but in just focus on trying to protect them and preserve them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of common ground. I mean, mm. uh, in 1995, I worked with ARC and, and the WWF, and there was a conference in uh, Japan, in Ohito. Mm. I mean, I, I, was, I was asked to chair a workshop of nine different faith groups, both Abrahamic, Far Eastern, and traditional communities, in trying to find the uh, commonalities between our different traditions. Mm. And we looked and bonded for two weeks and we came up with uh, 10 bullet points of common areas and 10 bullet yeah. points where we could do work together and so that is that that is there is a lot that we can be doing together and and we should and it's, it's a growing movement and it's very Definitely. important it's very important and now we have one fifth one fifth of the world's population the sleeping giant I would call the Muslims and they need to wake up because they have a very profound teaching in, in, in this area mm. Uh, because the uh, Quran is rife with all these kinds of uh, teachings and and uh, things things to do about uh, you know about planting trees and uh, about uh, respecting animals. There's a saying about that, and isn't there in the Quran about planting trees? The planting trees saying was from the Prophet himself, oh, okay. not not the Quran. But the Quran talks about uh, the, the 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 plants and the trees bow in adoration to the Creator. Okay, and yeah. it talks. Then after that comes the verse on the, on the balance, mm. and so when we have other teaching, we say, "What does the Quran mean when we say the trees bow in adoration to the Creator? What does it mean?" You know, you ask. So I, I asked a, a group of young, those were young children. I asked one, one, one of the, one of these groups, what, "What, what, what is, what is, what is? Why is God telling us the trees bow in adoration? He doesn't bow in; he just stands up." So one of the <laughs> Puts his hand and says, 
it means that birds can build nests on the trees. You see? Mm. So the, the trees act, act, act as a resource. Yeah. And you can get very scientific about it and say the trees lock carbon dioxide, they have the photosynthesis, mm. the chlorophyll effect and all this kind of stuff. They can get very, and the roots lock the soil. That is what God means when the tree is bowing in a direction. It's doing what God has designed it for. Mm. That's what is. So what has God designed us for? To, to, to destroy the tree that is doing God's work. You see, you see what I mean? Mm. So it's a very powerful teaching. And uh, it was great that you were getting kids that that, that young involved. Yes, in it. yes, yes. We were talking about this book in in the, that you referred to earlier on in Zanzibar. Mm -hmm. uh, after this workshop in Zanzibar, the Zanzibari fishermen and the communities wanted a resource book for the for the for the for the teachers in, mm -hmm. the, in the Quran schools. We produced one, and that that's that's the one you're talking about. And that's on the website. It can be yeah. it can be downloaded by anybody. There are teaching resources on our website which can be downloaded in the resource section. What would you say to any Muslim who's listening who thinks, um, I'm really worried about the environment, I want to get more in, more in touch with my faith and I want to mix the two together, what, where would they, what would mix they what, do? Mix what? As in, they want to connect the faith and environmentalism and, and the concern for the environment. Yes. Um, how, and they, but they want to make more of an action on, in their community and on a wider scale. Yes. Where would they go to and what would they do? Well, in, in in a sense, almost anything. If you know, I, I think the first thing they should do is network mm -hmm. and uh, get to know people. I encourage uh, people who ask me this kind of question to say, go and work with Greenpeace, Friends of the Earth, WWF. Go and work with any organization that plants trees or conserves water, or you know, then you begin to learn. But also learn from your own own teachings mm. and and tr and try to. Um, behave according to what the Quran expects you to behave, you know, as, as somebody who is kind to nature and somebody who behaves well with nature. Mm. If, if nature is Mother Earth, treat, treat nature like you treat your mother. Mm. You know, be kind to her. Mm. You know, be kind to the animals. That's, that's Islamic teaching. And bear in mind that I enough verse in the Quran which says, uh, I have created everything the birds that fly and the things that walk and creep and crawl and fly as communities like yourself. So as Khalifa, as somebody who's stewards of the earth, it's your responsibility to protect those families. Mm. You see? So you have a very, very profound teaching there that integrates you into nature and also gives you the responsibility to, to, to put things right when they go wrong and not to damage. And use the whole... The, Things like we get today, reduce, reuse, recycle. Oh, yeah. And, you know, use bikes when you can, or use the bus, or you don't know, use cars. So that Professor Gilbo, that I mentioned him before, he's a chap who works a lot with um, um, population matters. Yes, he's yeah. a patron. He says, um, reduce, uh, refuse, reduce, recycle, um, rot, uh, um, sorry, recycle, and then bicycle. So he uh, has the five R's and a B. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, networking is important. We need more people to work with mainstream communities, you know, yeah. climate action, all, all that is important. But my, so having established that there is a very profound environmental input, that, that's a wrong word to use. Uh, there's not an input, it's integrated. Mm. Islam is integrated into the, uh, environmental or the environmental ethic is integrated mm. into the uh, uh, Islamic ethic, mm. uh, and uh, it 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 all environmentally is a new term. It didn't it didn't happen before. I wonder if the people use the word environmentalism environmentalist before um, Rachel Carson. Mm. Degrees in environmental sciences is quite new. 70s, they were almost non-existent. Then they become an exponential growth in environmental degrees after the 1980s. Yeah, the climate change sciences and all this thing came well, into the. Well, open. everyone should be an environmentalist. Really, it should be part of living. Uh, absolutely. If if they are human, then they 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 need to realize that if you are human, the human depends on the natural order. Yeah. So it it is for us to protect the natural order because we survive in it. But instead, what we are doing is that we've become total consumers. Mm. And, and the consumer ethic is based on, 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 on the growth paradigm. Mm. 
you see, and and uh, we are not going to deal with the environmental issues, no matter uh, how many demos, extinction rebellion, uh, mounds on the streets of London, or any other organisation. Uh, goes out and waves a banner saying we are environmentalists and stop the rot. If they do not change the economic, uh, the political economy of today mm. is designed to, to destruct, designed to destruct, and it has to change. And I argue in my book that uh, words like uh, prosperity, growth, development, uh, and all the other Terms that are associated with economics should be should be replaced with one word, and that is equity. Mm. Because um, uh, in, in in the sort of in the way that the economic system is devised, um, the way it works, it'll be almost impossible to have some some kind of economic equity if it is. If we carry on the way we are doing now, yeah, because um, um, the world's resources, financial resources, are being more and more concentrated into a small and smaller group of people. Mm. The figure is one percent on eighty percent of the wealth, world's wealth, whilst there's a concentration at one end. And that is that is a uh, that is a evident growth of poverty at the other, mm. and 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 they're and the ones who will suffer the most. They're the, the ones with the consequences. Yeah, as, as, as a consequence of that, um, OECD um, put out a report earlier this year saying that the the business community. Is in debt to the tune of thirteen uh, trillion dollars. Uh, wow! And another report put out by IMF uh, last year said in in nineteen seventeen the uh, the the world was in debt to the tune of one hundred and eighty three million. That kind of figure uh, uh, of GDP. You see, and and th these are the point I'm making is that in order it's to it's like silly numbers, isn't it? it doesn't it, quite it make is, sense. It is. You have to be in debt in order to succeed. Yeah, the whole world is built on debt. You see, but the very important Islamic teaching about debt is that you cannot charge uh, interest on money. Mm. The whole money system is a fabricated system. Well, isn't it? It's an illegal, illegal in Islamic law to a degree, isn't it? It is a sin. It, 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 yeah. it is. It is the arch sin. It, it is the worst thing you can do uh, is to charge interest. It's like the worst. Well, the verse in the Quran is very strong. It's just like worshiping the devil. Wow. To charge interest, you see, and the whole system is built on interest, debt. So the world system is built on debt. Wow. It's 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 so kind of ingrained, even in like it's ingrained in me as well. Like just this idea of you know, the money, everything gets interest, um, and then you kind of see on the other hand the the huge trillions of dollars of debt. It makes no sense. Like my brain doesn't quite even comprehend, comprehend how strange, and yeah, yeah, meanless it is. But yeah. how, I mean, how do we get out yeah. of that? You should read my analysis on on money. There, I, I yeah. have two or three places where I analyze money and how how it is how it is created. It's created out of nothing. Yeah. With the money fractional is reserve banking system. Yeah, and all the fractional reserve banking yeah. system. Yeah, yeah. So if if that if you don't deal with that, and that is the system that perpetuates growth. Yeah. If we, so I also argue that there is now the time to look at the whole idea of negative growth, degrowth, mm. because we cannot grow in a planet that is finite. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And now we are. We are consuming resources through and 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 uh, taking resources out of the out of the planet. It's worth one and a half or two planets. Yeah, you just cannot. So imagine uh, more than eight billion people in another decade, uh, and the whole thing is about consume, consume, consume. So more people consuming, individual consumption increases, and it's going to tax the earth 
like like no like nothing else like no other time in history so where is it going to end you see not well not as it looks it'll collapse i mean i'm sure there's, there's a systems collapse yeah so is there anything with all the doom and gloom is there anything that gives you hope and yes i mean I, i'm i'm persisting in this because i'm an optimist because it has to change mm. because i think about my grandchildren and think to myself what is it that we can give them you see mm. uh so the system has to change uh but it will collapse before it, it can change but we, maybe that will be the, the way that it changes maybe through that, maybe that's the way it will change yeah mm. it nearly collapsed nearly collapsed in 2008 mm. uh so it might collapse another another collapse is predicted in 2025 or maybe sooner but what what will happen because the, the power elite would want to hold on to what they already have and they're powerful mm and they have the means means to enforce their own continuity as 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 a power, power elite mm. you see uh so what what i what i what i say to muslims and others um, is that uh function try to create circular economies where you are yeah try to create community try to create your own economies and issue your own currency and maybe you had to barter or whatever because when the whole thing collapses you'll wonder where where am i going to get my new television those things won't be available to you mm. you know grow your own food uh, learn to defend yourself because there are a lot of people coming at you but work with other people create neighborhood communities and create a circular economy because initially it will be your own survival needs you can survive and that's what i'm suggesting and i think the transition town movement yeah, is one of one of one yeah. of those was well, a good example definitely with rob hopkins yes yeah that's one way out of out of, out of the mess that we we've to keep things out. local keep things local and then you get to know your neighbors yes local food local markets local produce local relationships uh, that also reduce your traveling you know and you know jet planes or no motor cars or whatever it, i think it'll come to that and you also be have to be careful about uh, the kind of technology that we are going to you know uh, who's this guy the, the head of amazon wants to go to the moon and set up moon stations and oh he, he lo- is that elon, elon musk elon you mean musk. No, he that, wants to go to mars no that bezos isn't it bezos. oh bezos. bezos oh okay i mean it's it's um, madness well it's a bit it's a there's a, a huge problem here and it seems a bit strange to um to want to go to the moon and to mars when we can't figure out our own backyard you know yeah yeah that's another level you know what about the people who are hungry why don't you feed them before you go to the moon yeah you see but the 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 uh, the islamic ethos forbids in fact uh, um holding wealth it's a distributive economy that is one of the five pillars of islam it's compulsory for you to give 2 and a half percent of your wages or your capital to the poor yeah. every That's year. That's the zakat. Zakat. Yeah. Yeah. But there's another thing called sadaqah mm-hmm. where you are enjoined by the Quran it's uh, it forbids hoarding wealth. Mm. Um and um because money is a bloodstream of the economy you don't hoard it if you hoard it, it does nothing to anybody mm. when you die you don't take it with you to the grave but give it to people and 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 uh, it encourages those kinds of activities it encourages trade again i i give a template i tend 10 bullet points i give at the back of the book um where you can trade there are islamic trading uh, methods the restrictions on trade about about gazumping and about hoarding and all mm. these things are prohibited by a trade on an equal basis where values of value of a good is exchanged for a counter value of another the good you know encourages yeah. bartering uh and all these things are in are, are there for you if you want to use them and uh, so the template is there if you want to use it we can figure it out i mean there's definitely there's definitely a kind of um a, a modern i don't quite know what the word is maybe it's arrogance of pushing away traditional cultures and in, uh, insisting that the modern way is the best but is there's obviously there are obviously huge holes in that because we we're ruining everything through our pursuit of um I I think the tide is changing I think the tide is changing because 
the, the, the standard word is you're out of date, you're not, you're not modern, you're backward, you know, mm. all, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but there, there, are, there, there, are, there are things in scientific advances that we can accept. Mm. That's, that's good for the whole community and does not allow uh, pollution and all the other things we are, we are lumbered with. But, you know, uh, medicine, you know, scientific advances give us, give us good things. Uh, we, we, we cannot throw them away. Uh, but the other, other side is, um, is organic agriculture. You can have organic agriculture or GM agriculture. What would you choose? Mm. GM is, is a disaster in some parts of the world today. But organic agriculture feeds people and feeds local people, use local produce, uh, you recycle, you know, and, and uh, then there is also science in, in, in organic agriculture, like the permaculture system, yeah, yeah, you know, and absolutely. all these new systems that are emerging. So you, you, don't, you don't throw away technology, you probably heard of this phrase intermediate technology, where it's good for you, but it doesn't harm the environment, you know. Plow is technology, yeah, isn't it? Uh, so where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Uh, if it is uh, a tax on fossil fuels, maybe that's where you draw, draw the line. Um, so these are these are kind of things we need to talk and argue and and come to conclusions that benefits the entire community. Without uh, destroying the the, the uh, and or polluting the air and destroying the water systems and destroying mountains, mm. destroying rainforests, you know, cutting trees down that, that yeah. gives us oxygen and lots of carbon dioxide. These are discussions we need to have because we we go on so far ahead and we'll be forced to have them before long. Yes. But but uh, concerned people are already talking about it in terms of transition town movement. Um, and uh, circular economy and, and uh, debt-free economies. Mm. Uh, there, are, there are conversations already being had. But in my view, it is not quick enough and fast enough yeah. because one of the reasons why it took uh, from 2012 when the Kyoto Protocol expired to 2015, those three years, uh, when the Paris Agreement uh, no, was, yeah, because if you if you're if you're the leader of a country, mm. and you became the leader of a country because you promised people the goodies, that's how you become <laughs> leader of a country. Yeah, yeah, that's standard way. Yeah. If you want to become powerful, you promise people the goodies. You have a better standard of living, right? Yeah. Then you go to a climate change uh, conference and the climate change people are saying, you've got to reduce your consumption and you've got to reduce your, in order to reduce carbon dioxide emissions, you've got to do this and you're going to, you're going to uh, uh, not come up with the answers if you're, if you're going to grow, you see. But the growth agenda is a raison and retro of current economic model. You cannot go back to your country after having elected leader and say, Sorry, folks, I, I promised you this, but I can't because I promised in Paris that I cut my emissions. So I've got to reduce your standards of living. Now, will you be elected the next election? Of course. I you think will. that's why Extinction Rebellion are so, why one of their main things is tell the truth. Yes. Because people are not, you know, with the Brexit bus and all these other things that is, is, is the most prominent recent example, probably, but people just um, twist the truth, make people go for the goodies, and then. Um, once they've exactly. promised it, you can't take yeah, it away because yeah. people will riot. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the extinction rebellion movement must take on the financial system, mm. must must take on the banks, because the whole thing is nothing. This has created nothing. All this, if you are in debt, what is the GDP? What's the GDP debt of, of the United Kingdom? About seventy uh, percent. It's in the book. Yeah, about 70%. I think you said ninety percent, but I could be wrong there. Uh, but there's another, another another nation state. Yeah, ninety percent. Mm. You see, but then that, then the, the the world's happiest country in the world is Norway. Yeah, and Norway is ninety eight percent consumer debt, and the second happiest country is Denmark. This is according to the United Nations, yeah. 
and the Denmark consumer debt is 126% of GDP. Wow. So you have to be in debt to be happy. So you begin to define prosperity in order to, in order to be prosperous, you have to be in debt. Now that does not make sense. Now if Extinction Rebellion can get that into the heads of people, then I'm for Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. This whole thing is run by debt. Yeah, I think it's it boggles my mind. I need to speak to an economist to figure it out because I don't know what the alternative the is. The New so. Economics Foundation, London-based New Economics Foundation, are, are good on this. But they say we want radical answers, but they don't say scrap the banks. Are there any other people that you would suggest that we should have a look at if we want to expand our knowledge of kind of solutions? Organizations or individuals? Yeah, I mean, NEF, you should you should talk to NEF, see what they say about it. Okay. You can ask them the question, why, why shouldn't the banks be abolished? I mean, the Christian Council for Monetary Justice. My, my, my wife and I worked with them in the 1990s. Mm. We went to the House of Parliaments, the Christian Council and us, okay. went to the House of Parliaments together, talked to MPs about money. But they didn't know about money. You know, the, the, the MP who chaired the meeting, I won't mention his name, you know, it's not fair. He said to me, Fazlun, what's this about money? You think, do, bank, do the banks actually create money? I said, of course they do. It's nothing. Money doesn't exist. So the, the CMJ, the Christian Monetary Justice, was actually saying the aspect of money creation to be taken over by the state. Hmm. Okay. Not by, not by the bank. Not by the banks, you see. And the states can control. That's one way of getting back to a state of equilibrium. That's the beginning, if that happens. But they won't do it. It's too powerful. Wall Street is too powerful. It's so it's so in it's so in our brains of how banks work, isn't it? We've all we've all been brought up with it. It's like almost part of us. Monetizing, yeah, 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 which is a huge yeah, problem. Yeah. One final question I wanted to ask you is: if you could go back seventy years to when you were seventeen, uh, yeah. what with with what you know now, um, what would you say to yourself? With what I know now. With what you know now, yeah. What would you say to yourself if you could meet your 17-year-old self again? With the, with the knowledge I have now, but you have to change, drastic change and quickly. You know, I'd be right there with Extinction Rebellion people. <laughs> 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 Demonstrating, you know, I'll, I'll be poking and prodding everybody. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Sri Lanka, I know it's Ceylon in those days, but it is a disaster. Hmm. It's a disaster and corrupt politicians in exploiting the environment have absolutely no idea because they're all sold on this idea of growth, you see. Mm. And they want to grow and they, are prom they promise people all kinds of things that they cannot deliver, mm. you know, development and then all these NGOs in all these countries uh, pumping in development aid and they're building, um, I was speaking to my, 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 my nephew the other day, and, and Sri Lanka is a, isn't a big island, it's a small island. It got a wonderful river system. And because of the size of the island, they're not huge river systems. Mm. They're small, but large volumes of water because you get the monsoon rains. But on a smallish river, imagine building five dams in a small river system, all aid offered by different well-meaning countries. Yeah. I mean, that's what somebody, somebody called dead aid. I mean, Whereas it's also the reservoirs have dried up. Rainfall is, is, is uh, not as uh, um, much as it used to be. And, and um, they are still de developing. And they've sold a whole chunk of Sri Lanka to the Chinese, so the southern part. Of the mm -hmm. Chinese are busy, you know, the new, new colonialism um, in exploiting natural resources for their own ends. And the small countries are just minnows being toyed about by the big big powers. Yeah. And, and I, I would say, you know, be independent. It's a wonderful country. You plant a boomstick, it'll grow, somebody said, you know. And uh, what do they want? Cars chock a block with, in a small island like that, you can't run luxury cars all over the place. A, a small, tiny elite, you know, lauding it over the rest of the people. And the people are being manipulated by politicians and just having all over the world, there's a small, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I would definitely start an environmental movement if I knew what I, then what I know now. And I will begin to go and see the scholars in the, in the Muslim seminaries and say, look, what, what, what are we doing? This is not what the Quran says. Listen to what the Quran says. And you'll change your tune. Hmm. 
And you, you have to change. If you don't change, we are dead. That's what I say to them. And we are dying. The, 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 the earth is dying. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. We need a lot more reverence and reverence for nature. Yeah, a sure. A lot more. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yes, respect nature because because nature is mother. It 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 suckles you. It 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 gives you life. It you know it it makes you strong. It and 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 um, allows you to grow. Allows you to thrive. You got to look after it because it's your home, your only home. There's nowhere else to go. Wake up. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about today's guests, check out the show notes at thegreenpill.org. And tune in next time for Panda Packaging, a company formed of a geologist and an ex-Bollywood actress. The Green Pill is edited by Kazra Ferugia, produced by James Bishop and is part of the One Fine Play Podcast Network. You can find me on Dr. Chris Newman on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, see ya.